Do you believe that? That's what we're going to look at over the next five weeks. There's five Sundays in October starting today, and we're going to talk about generosity. And one thing that's interesting is most people think generosity is about the wallet, but radical generosity is about the heart. The wallet's there, but it's really about the heart. And we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. And one of the things we've done is we handed out a little journal devotional. Did you get it this morning? If you didn't, you'll have one out there as you leave. If you're online, you can stop by the church if you're local during the week, and we'll have them there. If not, if a lot of you are watching from all over the country and the world, you can go to Amazon. We've got the uh, QR code there in the... um, Um, chat room area. You can go there, figure it out if you're not local. But if you are local, you can pick it up. We're going to start it a week from tomorrow. So we're going to hand these out today. Don't start it. And we're going to hand them out next week. And then on October 9, we're going to start it together. It's a 20-day journey in generosity that we're going to look at and look at God's generosity and his radical generosity and what that really means to us and how that plays out. It's a study that was done by Redeemer Church up in uh, New York City a few years ago, and it's incredible. We love it, and so we bought these for everyone. They're free. You can come and get it as well or order it on it. And you saw a little bookmark. Can you pull that bookmark out for just a moment, please? Because this is the fourfold goal of where we're heading this month. And I just want to share it before we get into the Word. First of all, as we do this journal... You can start doing this this week, but the journal starts a week from tomorrow on October 9th, is number one, that you would seek God daily. Now, we should always be doing this, but I want us to do it as a church together, doing the same things at the same time, starting on October 9th for 20 days. So we will be seeking God together, committing to going through the devotional with our church family starting on Monday, October 9th. Number two that we will seek time to pray. Commit to pray for two people daily who don't know Jesus and pray for opportunities to share the gospel. This is something that I say from time to time, even in my own Bible, in Elizabeth's Bible, we have several. I have about five people that I pray for on a regular basis. And I know many of you pray for people on a regular basis, but that you would commit to pray for at least two people every single day that don't know Jesus and that you can talk to work with. Now, yes, you can pray for people you don't know. Always do that, but you may never be able to talk to them. Pray for people that you can communicate with and that you know, a family member, a coworker, a friend, someone. And you know what? Don't pick. You pick what God tells you to do. I have to tell you, sometimes we think, oh, I'll I'll go for the easy ones. You know, pick kind of the low-lying fruit. Well, pick the hard ones. Pick the ones when you go, they'll never come to Christ. And I've told you stories this year of people who have come to Christ that I and my weak faith thought they never would. But God in his abundant grace did save them. So that's number two. Number three, and this is really important, seek meaningful conversations. Commit to have spiritual conversations with those the Lord puts in your path. Those can be neighbors, friends, family, coworkers. 
Those meaningful conversations can be about anything, but where you can draw them into talking about their life, their relationships, their understanding with the Almighty God, even when they have conflict with others, that you can bring it up to and talk to them about God. And it's so amazing that I realize that many uh, believers don't ever have really meaningful conversations about the Lord except in places like church or a Bible study or a place where there are other people that believe the same. Go for it and have meaningful conversations with other people. And then finally, seek to live generously. At the end of this time, we are asking you to commit to doing what God calls you to do here at Boca Raton Community Church, an area of his truth, your time, the talents he's given to you, and the treasures he's given to you as well. We're going to have a call. We're going to share some of the, uh, the vision that we're working towards over the next year and what that includes and see how you can be a part of that both in all these areas as well. So what we're going to do on that day, the 9th, which is a week from tomorrow, we're going to have a vision night across the street in the dining room in the ministry center. We've been begun sending out invitations and all, and it takes too long. So I'm just giving you an all-invite to come to this. Now, do you see that QR code? You know what a QR code is? Take your camera out right now. Take a photo of that QR code. It will send you right there. You can register in seconds to come. We would like everybody to come to that. And on that night, which is, there'll be a little dessert, seven o'clock to eight. It's nothing big, no dinner. We're just coming, have a few refreshments, and then share what God is doing here at Boca Raton Community Church in the coming weeks, months, and a year of time. And we would like everybody to come. You do not have to be a member. If you're a regular attender of our fellowship, we would love for you to come. We'll remind you next week as well. Or you can go to bocacommunity.org slash vision night. Just remember vision night. If you can't do this, when you're at home, you can do that and figure that out. And if you can't figure any of that out, go to the information desk and ask them to do it for you. They'll do it for you. The, the ladies there, they'll just pop it on and do it. So just go to them if you want to do that. Is that good? So that's where we're heading over the next month of time. I'm going to be preaching. Matthew's going to be preaching. We're going to be working together. But you're going to be doing this devotional time, this journaling time together. So we're going to be learning every single day about radical generosity. I use the word generosity, and here at church we do whole life generosity. We're using the word radical just to kind of change it up. What does it really mean to have radical generosity? So today's topic is radical generosity and God's mercy. Now you see down at the bottom, everywhere you look, you see the words seek first. We're going to get into seeking first. We want you to seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. That's in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. But what does that really mean in the practical application of that? And that's what we're going to be looking at. But before we talk about us, I think we need to talk about him. Do you agree? So turn to your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 17. We're going to move into the middle of Jesus's ministry Luke chapter 18, verses 9 and following. And I've titled this, Radical Generosity and God's Mercy, to really understand 
that true generosity begins with God and it begins with his mercy. And we're going to look at two stories. So let me talk about this. These two stories have five groups of people attached to it. Can I give you who they are? There are the Pharisees. We'll talk about them. There's the tax collector. We'll talk about him. There's God. We'll obviously talk about him. There are children and there are the disciples. So there's the Pharisees, the tax collector, God, children, and the disciples. And Jesus does this in two stories. The first story is a parable. And you recall a parable is something that Jesus used to tell a story that is not true. It's a story to prove or to show a truth. So it's just a story, but it's to tell a truth around that. That's what a parable is. Now, the second story that we're going to go to is a true story, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Can we start reading here? Verse 9, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Just by their right, Pharisee. That's kind of a good definition of a Pharisee. But the people continue, let me go. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed, thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. You can feel he's pointing. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That's story number one. It's a parable. It's a story about a Pharisee, a tax collector, and God. Now, nowadays, Pharisees is a bad term. When you call somebody a Pharisee, you're calling them a self-righteous person, someone who thinks more highly of themselves than they ought to think. But back then, that wasn't the case. Joseph of Arimathea, the people in the scriptures, some of the early believers were Pharisees. And Jesus didn't go, stop being a Pharisee and start being a follower of me. They were a Pharisee and they became followers of him. And so Pharisee was not bad. In fact, the Pharisee was good. Here's why. Because back then, there were two groups of people. And if I can think of it in terms of leading, think of it as an upper house, like Senate, lower house Congress. It wasn't that. But think of the upper house of leadership in Israel were the Sadducees. Sadducees. The Sadducees were bad people. They had religion with nothing around it. They were interested in money. They had equivocated to Rome. They were strong. They were the powerful. They were the followers of Herod. They were the Sadducees. They were the bad people. They started around 150 BC and kept going and kept getting more power, more power, more power. Long story I don't need to share. But out of that came a very, they would be, and I use this word in Jewish terms, not in American terms, they were the liberals. 
They really didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the law of Moses. They would go to the high holy days because they had to go, but they really didn't practice or believe anything that was surrounding Judaism back then. If they went to the synagogue, it was because they had to go, things like that. Out of that grew a conservative group, and I use that in Jewish terms, not in American political terms, but a conservative group called the Pharisees, where they chose to practice the law of Moses. They chose to practice the Jewish traditions, and so they were the ones who kind of followed what they were supposed to follow, where these people didn't follow where they were supposed to follow. So these are the two people. They are known for being bad. They are known for being good. Now, he talks. Now, he, uh, Jesus says, I'm going to give you a parable. In comes two people into the temple. He says, up to the temple. Remember, the temple's the tallest place in Jerusalem. Even at the end, he said, they went back down to their house. They come up, and they're in the outer court. They're praying the inner court, and then there's the Holy of Holies in the middle, which nobody could go in but the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement, which is Yom Kippur, which was celebrated just a week ago in the Jewish calendar across the world this year. So it's that time. And he goes, now the Pharisee's praying. Now let's take the Pharisee's prayer for a moment. He stands up and he prays, God, I thank you. Great opening to the prayer, right? God, I thank you. But then what does he thank God for? Himself. He doesn't say, God, I thank you for all that you have done for me or for the world or for us or for my family. He said, God, I thank you for me, that what I've done. And And he five times uses the personal pronoun. I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He was putting when he said, or even, that the tax collector was worse than the extortioners and adulterers. So pretty bad. We'll talk about a tax collector in a moment. And so he goes, I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I get. Now, you need to understand, in the Jewish context, they had to fast once a year, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. They didn't have to fast every week. That was not in any of the laws. They needed to fast once. But you know what? I fast twice a week. I am really good, and I'm actually better than good because I'm doing it twice a week. See the self-righteousness coming up? And then he says, and I give my tithes. Now, tithes are 10%. That's what a word tithe means. But actually, in the Jewish context, it could have been as much as 23 and a third percent. I'm not going to go in how the math works, but what he was probably saying is, I tithe 23 and a third percent to the temple and to the synagogue and to God. So I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. And what is he doing? He's praying about himself. I'm good. I am good. I hear a lot of people tell me how good they are. I have people who um, do things for the church and they have to let me know that they're good. I have people that I, I just, people want to know that they're good. And this guy is going to the extreme that he is good. But the question is, is he really good? Let's hold that thought. Then he goes to the tax collector. Now, 
In the American context of tax collector, we don't like tax collectors, but we really don't not like them either. What we don't like are the tax codes, right? I mean, does anybody like the tax codes in America? Like, wow. If, I don't, I've yet to meet someone who likes the tax codes in America. But we send our taxes to this unknown address in Atlanta, or our employer sends it to this unknown place in Atlanta. And whenever a tax collector calls us for whatever reason, we don't blame them. We're kind of blaming the system. But that was not so back then. Back then, uh, Rome had taken over the world, the known world then, and they, the way they ran Rome was to extract enormous taxes on the locals. And so the way they collected the local taxes was to get locals who would equivocate, big word to say they were pro-Rome instead of pro their own country, and they would work and collect the taxes. And Rome said, collect our taxes and add whatever you want to it. Now, these people had posses and gangs, and so if, and the taxes were like 60, 70, and 80%. And then they added their own tax to it. And if you didn't pay, they had people to beat you up and to stop you from selling and to close your shop and not let you to take your barley to market, whatever it was. They could stop you. The tax collector was a hated person. Later in the month, we're going to talk about a tax collector, Zacchaeus. He was a hated person. They hated tax collectors because they paid their taxes to a person, not to a system. We pay our taxes to a system. We hate the system, maybe, but you don't hate the person. The tax collector was one of the most reviled, worse than extortionists, worse than adulterers. They are the bad people. And he walks up to the temple to pray. Here's the point. Tax collectors don't go and pray. The Pharisees go and pray. But the Pharisee prayed the wrong prayer. And here comes a tax collector praying. And what does he pray He beat his breast, couldn't even look up into heaven, and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, mercy, radical generosity and God's mercy. What is mercy? Mercy has a lot of definitions. Mercy is compassion. Mercy is giving to someone something, you know, holding back. We have all these definitions of mercy, but basically it's Helping someone who doesn't deserve it. You know, you're helping them. You're compassionate. You're working with people. That is not the definition of compassion here. It's only used twice in the New Testament, this compassion. This, or this mercy. It's not compassion. It's mercy. This mercy. And it's over in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Can I read it to you? Just write down Hebrews 2, 17. It says, therefore... Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Now, here's the word where the mercy word is. It's back there, but that's a different word. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, what on earth is the word propitiation means? I can't even say it. I can't even spell it. What it means is God through Christ, has mercy on us. Here's the picture. We're at the temple. They're praying in the outer court right there where the men uh, would pray. 
and right next to him, maybe 50 feet away, is the Holy of Holies, the high point of the temple. It was closed. No one was allowed in the Holy of Holies, except once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, when the chief high priest could go in. You remember that? And they actually would put a bell on him, and some say they would put a rope on him because if he was struck dead and they couldn't hear the rattling of the bell, they would just drag him out and send the next guy in. Why? Why could I not go into the Holy of Holies? Or why could you not go into Holy of Holies? Here's the reason. Nobody thinks about it. Because there's the Ark of the Covenant. Remember the Ark of the Covenant? And what was in the Ark of the Covenant? The two tablets of the Ten Commandments. The Law of Moses was in the Ark of the Covenant. Now, there were some other things in there as well. But think about this. I, and I say I meaning us, or anybody could not walk into the Holy of Holies and be exposed directly to the Ten Commandments. That's all that was. We fall short. There's 614 commandments in the Old Testament. Let's just take 10 of them. You know the 10? Have no other gods, et cetera, et cetera. Put the 10 right here and I can't even look at them. That's me, and I'm a pretty good guy. None of you can look at them either. You look at the Ten Commandments, you fall short. Now you're in this very holy place where the Ten Commandments are there, and you cannot even go in and see them because you fall short. Every human being has fallen short. But there's something else in the Holy of Holies. You know what it is? It's a seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. There's a seat, and the seat is called the mercy seat, the seat of propitiation, the seat of atonement. There is a seat there. The seat, Hebrews 2 tells us, is Jesus Christ. So what happens? God would come down big word, the Shekinah glory, God would come down into the holy of holies and sit on the seat and could see the chief priest because Jesus was hiding the Ten Commandments from that man. Because Jesus followed them all. He followed them all. So, propitiation, it's a covering It's a place that Jesus covers our sin. There's a lot of big words, theological words, and our theologians in the room love it. Atonement, expiation, propitiation. All those words are about covering the the real word, the Ten Commandments, from us so that God sees us perfectly, and he can only see us perfectly through the mercy of Jesus Christ. So let me give you an example. When I was in middle school, my sister was in high school, we went on vacation, we're at a lake, and she and I got in one of those little paddle boats, you know the ones you sit and you paddle, you know, they're not very big, and it was a calm day, and we go out in the middle of the lake, and we're there. My mom and dad were in one too. They were kind of over closer to the shore, and we're just out going. All of a sudden, a couple of guys came out and wanted to sink us. 
So they were either high school or college. I mean, I'm 11 or 12 years old, and here comes the big guys coming out, and they're ramming our boat and ramming our boat and ramming our boat. You know, these little things, just plastic fiberglass things. My dad sees this. My dad comes out. My dad's 90, but when he was 40, he was pretty imposing. He might have even been younger at that point. He comes and goes between them and us so that they couldn't see us anymore. And they knew they couldn't beat my dad, and they left. You see, my dad propitiated us. He atoned us. He covered us. He got between us and them. Now, it wasn't because we were sinners or anything, and all illustrations fall short, but the reality is this. When you believe in Jesus Christ, he is the mercy seat between God and you. And when God looks at you, he sees Christ because when he looks at us, he's comparing the Ten Commandments and the perfect law of the Lord, and we fall short. But Jesus is the seat that blocks us. And that is a beautiful thing. And the tax collector says, be my mercy seat on me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Do you get it? So who was right? The bad person or the good person? You see, it's not about what you do. It's about who is there to help you because you cannot do enough. See, generosity and godliness does not begin with my hands. It does not begin with my head. It does not begin with me doing something. It begins with Jesus Christ. You can say anything you want to say. All of it comes after. Radical generosity then infuses out of the heart of belief into my hands, into my feet, into my head, into what I do. But a lot of people are doing a lot of doing and don't have it here. And if you don't have belief in Jesus Christ, if you haven't been covered, then all you're doing is just good things. And there's nothing wrong with good things, but they're not going to help you with your relationship to the Almighty God. So people ask me, um, is it wrong to accept money and gifts from people that don't believe? I go, you know what? If they want to do something good for the church, I'm taking it. But I'm telling them that's not buying their way to heaven. You cannot buy your way to heaven. It can only happen through the mercy of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Then out of that infuses our generosity because of God's radical generosity. Now let's play it out in a story. So he tells the story, go to the next verse, verse 15. He tells the story, this is true. The other was a parable. Now they were bringing, they are the disciples, are bringing to Jesus even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them, to him, sorry, called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whatever does not, whoever does not receive the kingdom like a child shall not enter it. Here's the picture. Elizabeth and I have two 
uh, granddaughters that were just born a couple weeks ago, twins. You know how to tell the difference with, tw- with twins? You put a little um, fingernail polish on one. Uh, it, they look identical. I, they are identical. I mean, and when they're five pounds, they even look more identical. So yesterday I'm holding, and it's Ruth and Hannah, I'm holding Hannah. That's oh, so cool. You know, people go, are you afraid of? No, I love, it's my child, my grandchild. I'm holding Hannah, and we're just having this great time, she and me. She can't do anything. I have to do everything for her. Her mom does everything. Her dad does everything. Her sisters and brother do everything, right? I mean, at that point, you see, we need to realize we have to come to God as a child, realizing it is him that does everything for us. It's not... I thank you that I did this. I thank you that I do that. No, God is not impressed with that. God does for us because we come as children. And in fact, he said, don't let the children go away. I want children. I want people to see that this is how you come to the kingdom of heaven. And he tells us why in the previous verse that I skipped. And that is this, which is such a key verse. Verse 14, I tell you this, man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you believe that? The Bible says, humble yourself in his sight, and he will lift you up. If you lift yourself up, pride comes before a fall, you will be dropped down. We have to come to God in humility. Why? Why? Because in humility, you are saying to God, I know that I can do nothing for the salvation and for the furtherment of myself in the kingdom. It is all because of you. That is the understanding of God's radical generosity to us. It's his mercy to us. So... Let's bring it to today. Today, we're here. What do we learn from this? If we've learned anything over the last few years, is that our whole life is being disrupted, isn't it? Has anybody's life been disrupted in the last three or four years? Raise your hand. Well, all of you, if you're awake, you had COVID. But anything else, non-COVID, were you disrupted? Yes! We all live in disruption. And here's the question. When people have disruption, they're usually cocoon away. Their world gets smaller. In fact, in COVID, our world did get smaller, didn't it? Because of disruption, our world got smaller. And we live in Florida where it got not as small as everywhere else. We travel all over the world. It got small in some places, but we need to realize that God is not about this smallness. He's about working through disruption. On Thursday, it's City Lead, so please pray for City Lead. It's sold out. It's great. Um, but we're starting, so I'm, I'm sharing some innovations from Florida. Innovate, what, what is Florida known for, you know, besides warm weather and humidity? Um, and what's interesting is um, several things happen through disruptions. Back 100 years ago, there were a lot more hurricanes than there are now. You think they're all now. They were some really bad hurricanes. And a lot of people died. And the reason they died was because there was no warning. There was no warning system. My great uncle died in the hurricane of 1928. My mom's uncle 
died because there was no warning. He was working on a road crew in the Keys on a bridge. Those bridges you cross, he built one of those or started to. The hurricane came dead. So there was a man who was in West Palm Beach, West Palm Beach. He went to a funeral of family members and friends, and he said, this is not right. It is wrong that at least 500 people, every hurricane would die in Florida because of the hurricane. He goes, it's wrong. And he's the one who started the early warning, preparing for, he got a guy, an engineer named Saffer, and he said, we've got to develop a system to say, is this a category one or a category two or a category three or category four, category five? And how do we track it? Now, they, the tracking came much later, but you know, having people calling in the Bahamas and calling in Puerto Rico and calling in Eleuthera and calling in other places to tell them where it was coming and how it came. And they went from 500 to five people a hurricane dying. And now there are some hurricanes that nobody dies in. Why? Because of the disruption that occurred. And he said, I've got to do something about it. Just another one that's I found very interesting. I don't know if you know John Muir. John Muir, the Muir Woods in California. He was a big um, um, environmentalist, especially for parks. He wanted to, how did he get there? Well, he was big into seeing things and he was in Florida. It was in Florida. He was walking up in the panhandle and he got bit by a mosquito and got malaria. John Muir, it's the turn of the century, 1900, early 1900s. He's stuck in Florida for months because he has malaria. And he starts thinking about this idea of why don't we have a national park system? He thought of that while he couldn't move in a bed. The whole national park system of the United States, there was Yellowstone already, that came in the 1880s. But other than that, the whole national park system came because a guy was lying in bed and said, we've got to do something. He had time. My friends, so many people get in a disruption and they lose their mind. It is a time where God puts into you something you can do. And I would say these are very important things, hurricanes and the national park system, but I would say there are spiritual things that we should be doing when disruption comes. And what is it that you should be doing? And what it is not is going like this, saying, look what I've done. It's more like, God, what can I do to help the kingdom? And this is where we're going to head over the next month of time. We're going to look at it. And let me, let me just share one last thing. Sorry, I, got I was going to end. But I'm not. When I travel, I carry money. And you go, what kind of money do you carry? Well, it's funny. I carry four currencies when I travel. I carry British pounds, euros, U.S. dollars, and whatever local currency I'm in, because I'm never quite sure what currency is needed at the point in time. We think currency of generosity is just your wallet, but the currency of generosity is multiple things. Can I give you a couple things about it? Physical space is generosity. Emotional space is generosity. Personal involvement with people is generosity. You know, a lot of people say my faith is private but not personal. You know, if you have a private faith, you don't have to talk to anybody about your faith. It's personal 
It's very personal, but it's not private. You need to share your faith with other people. Hospitality is a currency of generosity. Economics, money, is a currency of generosity. Time is a currency of generosity. Relationships are currency of generosity. Talent, abilities, your calling, your giftedness, these are all currencies that you should be using to show generosity. Like I carry in my wallet or my money uh, pack various currencies, and I go, oh, I need that currency today. You need to carry the currency of generosity with you and go, wow, I can use this today. And it's not just your wallet. Your wallet's important, but it's so many other things. And I want us to be known as a church that is generous, a church that thinks of other people, a church that moves out forward. Do you believe that? Can we all do this?